Welcome to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast for people who love cars. I'm Joe McCullough, and today we're talking to Dave Wallace. Dave runs the machine shop at Speedway Motors, but in his spare time, he's built a wicked 69 Camaro race car. It's progressed from a race-inspired streetcar to an all-out 1,000-horsepower monster. Today, Dave tells us about this evolution, what it's like to run 200 miles an hour, and one epic crash that threatened to send the whole thing to the scrap heap. The story of your Camaro is a really great story, but there was the one sort of epic turn of events. Was it now two years ago, or was it just last year at the Blue Mile? Uh, a year ago. A year ago. What, what happened there? Went there with the intentions of basically easily eclipsing going 200 mile an hour, mm-hmm. which the, the goal was to do it. Do it on the motor, naturally aspirated, mm-hmm. and then uh, run oh, nitrous on the car, which the nitrous was adding 50% of the horsepower. Mm-hmm. It was roughly over a over a 500 shot of nitrous on a 1,000 horsepower motor. Yeah. So the goal was somewhere in, uh, I, I don't know, I think 210s, 215s, right. and uh, did the, d- was trying a lot of new things there. Looking back on retrospect, transmission was all brand new in the car. Uh, yeah. Was running a set of drag radials, which I'd never used drag radials before. Uh-huh. So, did like my first pass on drag radials and had the wrong air pressure. And so the basically the tire spun in first gear, they spun in second gear, they spun in third gear, right. and like at about 140, I was tired of trying to pedal it. So I just oh, kind of yeah. coasted along at 140 with the tires spin it basically lighten them up whenever you wanted to right so ran back to the semi switched uh back to my basically road course tires which is just like a hoosier r7 tire which tried and true tire i know what mm-hmm. it feels like uh but always on my at least i want to do one pass to know that there's no vibrations the tires are right they're balanced. Uh, the car's not going to pull left or right do anything funny uh get an idea what the wind is doing Mm -hmm. at speed like at 180 what what direction the wind is shoving you and so got up to the line uh took off real easy like didn't spin the tires didn't do anything dramatic uh i think it was after even a half mile before i shifted into third gear and then shifted into fourth gear so basically did two shifts in the last half mile which Mm -hmm. is i normally don't do that i'm usually almost in your high gear by the t- right after the half mile. Right. But got done with it and was kind of surprised. I think I went 197 or 198 mile an hour, just baby in the car and shifting it like 5,000, 5,500, mm-hmm. just taking it real easy on the car. So I was really kind of surprised Like no vibrations, everything went good. Uh, like I said, 197, 198, basically almost hit the goal of 200 without trying. So went back, got in line, let the car cool down uh, got ready for my next pass. And so then I, and so you only get so many passes a day too, and you never know what's going to happen. Like, uh, maybe somebody blows a motor up or something happens, but if there's oil on the road, well, you're, you're done. Everyone's done. Right. And this is, it's a, it's an open road event on one, what just happens to be a really, really great stretch of highway in sort of rural Nebraska. They close it off and do this road race once a year. Yes. For us in Nebraska, we actually have two of them. So it's mm-hmm. kind of 
we're a real a rarity in the half mile and one mile events like that to have two of them in one state within they're they're actually both within i think hour hour and a half of each other right so uh got ready for the second run and turned the nitrous bottles on and got them up to temperature did all that because you you don't like i said you only have so many options so you got to kind of decide to just i decided well i'm gonna take off swing for the fence right off the bat Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily swinging for the fence i had the the nitrous controller turned down mm-hmm. so it was ramping in at a fairly slow pace so so you don't get a lot of wheel speed and uh basically took off from the start first gear everything went great uh and my nitrous is managed over time so i got into the nitrous a little bit towards the end of first gear mm-hmm. uh it was on pr- for the most part all the way through second gear and didn't have any problems with anything and then the Somewhere on the way from second to third gear, I either screwed up shifting. Uh, I also know at this time I've gotten the rear end apart. I had broken part of the differential and the rear end was broken. Mm-hmm. So I, I know I broke the differential. It's just the chicken and the egg thing. I don't know if it right. happened. Right. If that was part of the cause or not the cause or whatever, but the, the end result was right around the, second to third gear shift at about doing the math at about 140 mile an hour took a very hard right hand turn and into the ditch and it was kind of history after that the body on the car is history yeah well and we'll post you had gopros in the car and we'll post that video to the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com where we're going to post this episode so you can see see it i've seen it and i guess you have to just imagine going down the interstate in your subaru or whatever and then double that speed and then imagine you know getting kicked off into the ditch and barrel rolling how many times that was eight to nine times it was uh when I wrecked the car right after, like that day later, I was trying to, trying to, you're trying to process like what, what just happened and it happened fast enough. I was pretty, pretty positive. I didn't even counter steer, but actually watching the videos, I did counter steer, but it went into the ditch so violently, like hardened to the right that mm-hmm. I just didn't feel I had time to do anything, but I did counter steer. Uh, I kind of, I stayed awake for the whole event, kind of very clearly remember going off or like counter steering and then seeing the ditch come up. I was sitting there thinking my first worry was, Oh man, I'm going to be the guy that's stopping the event, which Mm -hmm. at any event, regardless, autocross road course, you don't want, you never want to be the guy that oils the track down or you're the person that's stopping it. Yep. (laughs) So that was my first thought. I'm stopping the event. Yeah. So, uh, and then after that, I think my second thought was I could remember looking out the uh, driver's window and seeing brome grass go by the window. <laughs> and my first thought was thinking like when you're in, you're in high school and you're a young kid and everyone's probably been there where you've, or at least I did, you drove, you end up in the ditch with a car driving around trying to be the deuce of hazards, yeah, learning how to drive yeah, on yeah. country roads. <laughs> and I'm seeing brome grass go by the window thinking I'm just sliding into ditch and the brome grass is hitting the, it's a 69 Camaro and it sits pretty low, but I never really 
processed it that this happened uh, June 2nd. So the brome grass is not very tall yet. Right. And it wasn't tall enough to be on the door. So the brome grass that I was looking at on the door was the car was already airborne and I was oh, looking geez. down at the ground sideways, oh. but I just, I was in the air and I hadn't hit anything yet. Yeah. And so I'm looking out the window down at the ground as the brome grass went by. And my thought was, well, this is a really smooth crash. I've never, like I di- <laughs> didn't imagine this is going to be this smooth. And about probably, I don't know, it, it seemed like eternity, but a tenth of a second or a few seconds mm-hmm. later then is when all the the loud noises started. Right. The crunching noises. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, yeah, the crunching, the breaking glass, the the nitrous bottles getting tore loose and getting ejected out of the car. I mean, it was... I guess if people say they're in a tornado, that's probably what it sounds like because it was just constant noise. Yeah. Except when you'd get in the air. I can remember I could be in, being in the air, but you could hear the nitrous bottles because the lines had got ripped loose. Oh, because the bottles broke loose, right? From the mounts. The bottles broke yeah. loose. And so then it tore the lines loose. So then the nitrous is just basically open valve dumping itself. Mm-hmm. So. So you're obviously here sitting here talking to us and and that's not by accident. You were careful with the safety equipment that you picked and you were also careful building the car. Do you want to talk about that? Right from the very start there was a, a lot of I know you were in on some of the discussions because at that time you were back in the R&D shop mm-hmm. working on the race cars and I I think I remember you, I thought it was crazy that me and Bill were going to build cars and go over 200 mile an hour. And at that time it was, it, we probably were crazy because it was a, it seems like an easy goal, but it's a very, very hard thing to do just from the mathematics of doing it. But it was. Well, and something, you know, a 69 Camaro isn't exactly, you know, shaped like the most aerodynamic car that's ever been created. You know, it's not a, a, Lamborghini, it's a barn door Camaro. That that you had that working against you all along. From the start, uh Bill, one of the engineers, Bill Snyder here at works, one of the engineers that's uh re- really gifted engineer, really good at math, pretty analytical. Uh got him involved, got Carson involved, helping mm-hmm. with a lot of the math. He had spent time in the wind tunnel. So we spent a lot of time figuring out the the logistics of how much horsepower, what's the coefficient of drag of the car. Like you said, you're you're basically pushing a, a sheet of plywood down the road mm-hmm. trying to get it to go there. Well, within all those talks, it was, well, yeah, I th- yeah, I can make the car go 200. And so once that was figured out, it was, all right, how how safe do we need to make the roll cage, the car to survive a crash going over 200? Mm-hmm. That was one of the goals that uh, numerous times me and Bill had sat down and did the the math on the strength of the roll cage in areas. And I'm going to call it the, uh, not the halo area, but the area where I'm sitting in my car, I'm going to call it the, the area above my head, the left and right, the sides of mm-hmm. me, uh, that area, how much of a load will that be able to take catastrophically? I think we planned on, Oh, like the car falling out of the air 20 feet yeah going 200 mile an hour math bill did the math on the velocity and the loads that the roll cage would see at some of those points so we we spent a lot of time on that when i first got the car it was a drag car and it had a cage in it Mm -hmm. and uh 
we knew it wasn't going to be strong enough. So I just cut the cage entirely out and we started from scratch. Yeah. Uh, build a roll cage into the car. It didn't have all the bars that it had at the beginning. The second winter, I'm going to call it the car went through its second metamorphosis with a motor that was a lot bigger, mm-hmm. uh, added some more bars to the cage. The third year, uh, even bigger, more powerful motor. And then the cage got revamped a lot at that point. Yeah. And then I had uh, the late Wayne Lewis that worked for NHRA that was worked here at Speedway also had came over to my garage numerous times to uh, certify the cage. I think we certified it down to, I want to say, I think it was eight seconds mm-hmm. in NHRA eight second cage. Mm-hmm. And then we, and Wayne had a lot of talks with me too on uh, a lot of guys. If you ever knew Wayne, he was sounded like he was just a mean, grumpy, <laughs> as grumpy old guys you could ever imagine. You had to and earn if, his respect. Oh, completely. And if he thought basically you had something that was a pile of junk, he did not have a problem telling you point oh, yeah. blank. And, and it wasn't that it was a pile of junk. He used all his cuss words in his vocabulary yeah. telling you what a pile of crap your vehicle was. Yeah. So anyhow, I had Wayne come over and told him like, hey, here's the goals. This is what we're doing. Once you get by Wayne belittling you and telling you everything and he wants to yeah. then he sat down and he started talking about all the crashes that he'd seen over the oh god what 40 50 years of mm-hmm. drag racing mm-hmm. everything he's seen and he made all his suggestions of well i seen this in a crash i think i would add a bar here or this bar got added in on this safety rule after this crash right so wayne added quite a bit of insight so between him uh bill uh, me doing a lot of research. That's how the the car ended up in its, I'm going to call it the final iteration of when I crashed it with mm-hmm. basically a funny car type cage on each side of the car. A uh, lot of short spans, a lot of X's, a lot of diagonals. So at some point, I think when, when I was talking about when I was in the air watching the brome grass grow by, right. that was after then I sat there pretty calmly. And that's a lot of my friends know me and they were like, they're really surprised that I wasn't swearing cussing like yelling because i had the the my phone on so i was on a live facebook video feed as i went into ditch so there's i don't remember how many followers i had at that time like two or three thousand Mm -hmm. but i had it as a live facebook feed so i had i don't call it a couple thousand people watching it watching the crash live as it happened and uh i remember calmly sitting there just thinking it's like well i'm it's going to get wrecked after the first big hit, which was really hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got a broken rib and I think that's when it was. And it's hard to explain how hard the car hit on the ground the first time, but it was, it was very hard and violent. Uh, I remember thinking, well, I'm at that point, I was still really confident in the car, the cage, uh, 99% of everything in the car has been welded by one guy mm-hmm. and uh, his name is Matt Allen and he's a welder in my shop and he's probably the, uh, the best TIG welder or one of the best TIG welders I've ever seen. Oh yeah. And I'll so, for that. and uh, he actually rides in the car with me at open road races as my navigator. Mm-hmm. So he's the one who did all the welding in the car, uh, did helped a lot on fitting all the tubes. So we tried to get all the tubes. So they have a zero gap on the mm-hmm. fitment. Mm-hmm. I remember going into ditch, just thinking that I was 
pretty, I was pretty confident still at that point that uh, between me, him, and everyone else that was involved, uh, Bill, Wayne, Carson, uh, I know you had seen the car and made comments and suggestions on safety things you had seen on race cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't shy about asking anybody's opinion and giving me their opinion on making something safe. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm, at that point, I was still pretty confident. And once it all got done, stopped, sat there, kind of dusted glass off of myself and dirt and kind of felt my hands kind of did a, you, you move your, I've crashed motocross bikes a lot. So you move mm-hmm. your ankles around, you move your feet, trying to figure out what still moves, what's broken, what's not broken, what works. And was sitting there and I was like, well, I feel pretty good at that point. Didn't, didn't look good from my vantage point looking at the car, yeah. kind of gl- looked around in the air and the cage was all intact. Everything was where it was supposed to be cage wise internally mm-hmm. in the car. And so I was pretty happy at that point. Basically, I survived. Uh, I didn't know how, at that point. I didn't know how bad the car was because I was yeah. on the inside. But I remember trying to open the door, yeah. thinking I was going to open the door and get out. Yeah, and the door the door wouldn't open. Uh, all the windows were broke out. The roof was caved down around the car. Just basically every sheet metal piece on the car was bent. The, yeah, the dash inside the car was bent. The inner <laughs> inner door panels were smashed into the roll cage. So it was. I guess if you're going to completely crash a car and do a great job, <laughs> it was a pretty good job. Yeah. We'll put up pictures of this thing. I mean, it, it was pretty wasted. I saw it and you know, you it sat in the museum there for a while with chunks of grass hanging out of the hood and um, you know, it was pretty, pretty bad. But again, you know, that, that speaks to the, the quality of the rest of it that you didn't come out looking like the Camaro body, you know, yeah, I had spent a lot on too on well things you get, that didn't get tested, like uh, uh, making sure like you have a Hans device on mm-hmm. or some type of head and neck restraint, a good like a really high quality helmet, your fire suit, the seats, the seat belts, uh, the mounting of the seats, the mounting of the seat belts, the angles. There's there's so many things that come into play on making a safe car. It's not just it's not one thing. It's a sum of all the things together and hopefully you never have to use them mm-hmm. but uh it kind of shows like in some forms of racing like nascar indycar where they're continually developing their their safety protocols and procedures that's why they do it yeah so this car the this 69 camaro you'd sort of alluded to the fact that it had sort of evolved in stages and i remember what you started with uh, you know it was a pretty tame streetcar really you know had a had a big block 468 or whatever it was but you know i remember just riding riding around in it driving around town and it just felt like a normal camaro with a big engine and you know then it had evolved through all of these sort of iterations until you finally got to the big big bad version that that ended up being crashed do you want to what was the what was your motivation you know a lot of guys would have stopped with this this camaro like you know i've got probably would have been a solid 11 second car, you know, probably would have done 160 if you'd have done an open road race with it. What is it that caused you to just keep pushing and pushing harder and harder on that car? I usually go to extremes when I do thing to try and either make them really good, right. However you want to say it. But yeah, when I first built the car, it was 
it was really good. It was a nice car, but then I wanted it to be faster and better. And I, at that point I decided to, if I was going to go do a standing mile, I didn't want to be like the fifth place guy or the, mm-hmm. the tenth place guy for sure. And not even the third place guy. I wanted to have one of the one, either first or second fastest car there, yeah. but not second place by a little ways. I wanted to be like in the running to have the fastest car there. Yeah. So that's how it started. It's just, it wasn't, uh, I guess the goal was over 200. And then once I knew I could get over two, I hadn't been over 200 yet, but I knew it was close. Hmm. I'd gotten close at other events, uh, in the high one nineties. Yeah. That was with, uh, the motor that it had the previous version was a 540. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 850, 875 horsepower, no nitrous. So with the, the new motor, the all aluminum 565 that Zach built, we, both me and him knew over 200 naturally aspirated shouldn't have been a problem. But the goal was in that time window, some other cars had started going faster. Yeah. A lot of them were turbocharged cars, newer cars too. Vets. Yeah. Yeah. So, far more aero in a vet in a C6 oh, yeah. or 7 vet than there is in a 69 Camaro. Yes. So yeah, my goal was just to, I guess not to copy the big red one Camaro cuz I figured mm-hmm. they had kind of given not given up, but they had only gone so fast with a naturally aspirated motor before they switched to all their their big supercharged motors. Yeah. But me and Bill were both pretty sure just by doing the math and numbers that we could take where they left off and went faster than they had did with a yeah. naturally aspirated motor and a nitrous motor. And this and I is, still believe that's true. And this is in a standing mile, right? Yes. Not, not all the, all the real estate in the world, like Bonneville, um, you know, or seven yeah, miles, all the re- this is a standing mile. Yeah. All the real estate or say, uh, there's a few events that are like a mile and a half or at Bonneville or, Mojave, some other events. Oh, I would, if you have traction, I think the car, or I think me and Bill, the numbers you came up with are usually you run out of real estate or traction, mm-hmm. but the coefficient of drag and the horsepower and everything it is, I'm going to say you're, it's a 250 some mile an hour car. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in the same, it's, easily within the same zip code as the big red one car because we're both shoving bricks down the road. Right. So it's just a matter of the horsepower. Our listeners will notice that we're talking about this car in the present tense, which given how hard it was crashed and given the pictures of how wasted it looked, it seems like we should be talking about it in the past tense. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit where you're at with it now? Uh, yeah, after I'd crashed it, I'm not going to lie. There was probably a week or two where I just kind of sat around kind of thinking like, oh, man, what? what have I done? Now what am I going to – yeah, now – yeah, what have I done? What am I going to do? Because it's no lie. I mean, it was uh, – I mean, if you – people talk about if you can afford to take dollar bills and burn them, you're ready to – or not dollar bills, $100 bills. Oh, yeah. If you can afford to take $100 bills and stand there and light one on fire and smile about it, that's owning a race car. Doesn't well, matter. I've if it's a heard, sprint car. Yeah, I've always heard you should never race anything you can't afford to push off a cliff. 
It, it's really true. Or drive it into ditch at 140. Or drive it into ditch at 140. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, for two weeks I sat around, and uh, actually it wasn't even two weeks. It was the day after I crashed it. I remember I was up pretty early in the morning. Well, after I crashed it, uh, got out of the car, looked at the car, walked around it, uh, walked back up to the road with the ambulance people. They were going to bring me a stretcher, but I was absolutely not going to be stretchered out because I was up walking. I was mobile upright. I was trying at that point, I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened. Mm -hmm. And so we walked up to the road and I'm trying to look at the black marks, uh, getting the ambulance, go to the hospital, all that stuff got checked out. Uh, Ended up out at a buddy of mine's place fishing with my daughters probably two hours after I'd crashed. Yeah. From crawling out of the car, I'm standing on a dock fishing, catching bluegill with my kids. And well, you got to realize at this point, my daughters had seen me with uh, like a broken leg, broken arms from racing motocross. Yeah. So the, the oldest one had seen that. My wife had gone through numerous surgeries, broken bones, all just mm-hmm. the whole gamut of things. And so it's, it was not anything new, but wrecking that fast was definitely new. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, we're standing there fishing, uh, grilled out stuff like that, got back to the house, went to bed that night. And I was probably up early the next morning by like five in the morning. I'm sitting downstairs in the living room watching TV and I'm still getting And part of the reason I went to my buddy's house was because I know when I get to his house and you're at his house and down by his pond, uh, the cell phone set, the reception there is horrible. Oh, yeah. So I knew because at this point, my phone is still just blowing up left or right. I'm getting text messages, like instant messages. Because everybody thinks you're dead. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And 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 the people that know I'm not dead and just everything. Everyone's trying to get a hold of you. So I decided I, I talked to... I talked to a lot of people at work that were concerned about me. Uh, like Carson and his wife, Jane called Mm -hmm. right away. So I talked to what I felt like was everybody that was important. Um, close friends, family went there because I knew my phone wouldn't ring. Mm -hmm. And so then the battery went dead, got back to my house, plugged it in. Well, I got up at five in the morning. I'm answering all these messages, text Mm -hmm. messages. And so at some point then I'm sitting out in the garage and Normally after a race like that, uh, and I think I might've talked to you about like the, the history of the car at that point, every standing mile event I had gone to, I'd won the class I was in. Mm-hmm. So, and you start out doing, at least around here, you start out doing half mile events till you can prove that your, your car is safe. Mm-hmm. You can drive good. Uh, you can handle it at speed, all of that. So I had won. Uh, I think the first year I'd won every half mile event I entered Mm -hmm. after that I'd won every one mile event I'd ever. So at this point, uh, almost every time I'd taken the car somewhere and raced it at, uh, some type of road course event or standing mile, a high speed dangerous event Mm -hmm. I had won, but anyhow, I'm I'm outside the next day and I'm sitting in a lawn chair, kind of just. I don't know what you'd want to call it, but I'm looking in my garage or my shop where the car would normally be parked and I'd be planning my, what, what do I need to do to make it faster from that event? I'm sitting there basically looking at an empty space. Cause I didn't, didn't even bring the car home after it got crashed, left it at the, the promoter actually picked it up, put it on a trailer and took it to his shop. So I, the car's not in my possession at this time. It's hiding in another garage. And so I'm sitting there, 
looking at an empty space thinking, man, what the hell am I going to do? Like I just, I don't, I know the car's bad, but I don't really know how bad. I don't know if I, at this point, I don't know if I broke the motor. Like at this point, I just think it's a total loss, motor, everything. And my wife came out in the garage and she was like sitting there and we were talking about it. And she asked the question, she's like, well, so what are you going to do? She goes, I know you're already thinking what you're going to do. She goes, so what are you thinking? What's your plan? I was like, I didn't, at this point, I know my wife good, but I don't know how, how good when you basically, you wreck something that expensive. Well, right. And also I'm sure she was worried about you, you know, putting you back in a race car. Well, yeah. Cause she was, uh, she was actually at a birthday party, uh, with my two daughters and, mm-hmm. uh, she was way up in like North central Nebraska. So cell phone is reception's kind of sketchy. And so she was trying to watch the, the live feed of it, but it mm. had fallen out. So mm. she couldn't see it. Oh, so man. she had to find out about the crash by somebody calling her because yeah. cell phone reception had dropped out. So yeah, anyhow, she, she wants to know what, what am I going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I said, I haven't thought about it. I, all I said was I go, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it for two, three, four weeks and make a decision. Well, and her answer back to me was, she goes, she goes, well, I think you need to rebuild it. And I was kind of, I was actually really surprised. I was like, really? I go, I didn't expect that. She goes, I talked to my mom, my dad, we've known you for a long time. And she goes, rebuilding it, I think is the only option. Even if I say don't rebuild it, she goes, you're going to rebuild it anyhow and go right back to (laughs) doing what you're doing because you didn't achieve the goals that you wanted to achieve. Yeah. And so we just kind of left it at that point, and I uh, actually left it sit out at Utica at the other guy's shop for oh probably four or five weeks. Uh, went and got it on the trailer, brought it back, and and, and kind of like you said, that's how it ended up in Speedway, sitting in the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly how it came out of the field, just dirt, grass, dust, glass, all of it, and you know, I probably spent quite a few days, probably at least two or three times a week, I'd be thinking of what to do and I'd go over and look at it. I had no intentions of working on it right away, but the wheels were turning on how to make it better, quicker, stronger. So back to your original question, it's pulled it out of the museum. uh, Within, I want to say two weeks of being out of the museum, I had the body stripped off it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think you have the video of me driving it without a body on it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, checked everything and me and Bill decided it would be good to just strip the body off and go drive it to see if anything on the, what was broken on the drive chain other than the differential, mm-hmm. uh, what, what else needed to be fixed before it got tore apart. So, yeah. uh, pulled the rear end apart, put a different third member in it, uh, brought it to speedway, drove it around for a while, did some donuts, drove it around on the street, <laughs> uh, at this Everything point, just actually, looking like a big dune buggy. There's no no Camaro body anymore. It's just a. It's like the Terminator at the end of the movie kind of thing. Oh yeah, it looks like a giant go kart. Yeah, yeah. So drove it around, and everything was actually. I was surprised. Uh, we before I drove it, I obviously pulled the valve covers off and uh, like leaked the motor down, mm-hmm, checked everything, mm-hmm. and everything checked out great on the motor. Uh, so checked everything; it all was good. Then went home, tore the car apart basically stripped it down to the bare frame uh underneath the camaro body 
it's basically a tube frame chassis. So mm-hmm. stripped it down, uh, took a lot of measurements on it, checking to see if the chassis was still straight or twisted. And surprisingly, the chassis was not twisted at all. It was hmm. other than I'm going to call it all the bolt on suspension pieces, the spindles, upper, lower control arms. Yeah stuff like that the rear end housing things like that got bent Mm -hmm. but everything on the car was fine so i rebuilt everything on the front suspension so spindles upper lower control arms uh everything that was on the car before was just standard off the shelf or g comp Mm -hmm. items Mm -hmm. and i couldn't even tell you it was nothing special on the car because I couldn't even tell you who in my shop made them. They were just regular production parts mm-hmm. that I'd used. So we, uh, the second time around I rebuilt everything. It's still dimensionally standard G comp stuff, mm-hmm. but now everything is uh chrome molly. It's all out of lighter tubing. Right. The goal now is to shave a bunch of weight off the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it weighed 3,500 pounds. Uh, the goal now is to get it down to about twenty nine fifty with me in the car. Yeah, and that is actually changing a few things on the roll cage to make it safer. Not mm. that it wasn't safe before, but my my thing is everything can always be better, safer. So that was one of the main things I wanted to do on the car when I took it back apart was. Uh, I always looked at the safety stuff first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want it to be as safe as it possibly can. And one of the, one of the things I didn't like in the car was my seating position of how close my head was to the ceiling. Not that it was mm-hmm. real close, but it was. I knew that if I completely gutted the car, changed the rear suspension, I could change my seating position, lower the seat in the car, right. and get another two or three inches of clearance between my head and the roof. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that's happened to the car now is the floors are back out of it. Uh, the rear suspension, front suspension's all done and in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, rear suspension is about 99% there. It's getting a torque arm put mm-hmm. in it, which mm-hmm. is... One of the more, one of our bigger G comp kits that we sell now is a torque arm. So I'm putting a torque arm in the car, except it'll have a lot more adjustability than mm-hmm. what our normal kits are. And some of that is to test basically traction levels, right. uh, have, basically putting a massive amount of horsepower to something and basically learning from it. So right. we'll have a torque arm suspension, uh, a four link suspension, because I will do some drag racing more more drag racing this time around with slicks mm-hmm. on it uh before i was kind of limited to how big a slick i could put on it because of the wheel wells yeah this time i'm changing the wheel wells so i can put like a, a wrinkle wall slick or a radial slick taller slick uh so it'll be torque arm four link and a three link so we'll have three different oh, suspensions okay. to choose from and you talked about you know making the car safer this time around we mentioned the nitrous bottles breaking loose. Obviously that's not something that you, that you think about when you're bolting a nitrous bottle to the floor, that it's ever going to be exposed to enough G forces that it's actually going to break free. Do you want to talk about a few things like that, that you sort of learned from crashing that you're building into the car this time around? Uh, yeah, if I bought multiple different nitrous kits, uh, 
and all the mounts that I had that just standard mounts that they're little sheet metal mounts that were mm-hmm. folded and then like a, uh, a worm clamp that goes around the bottles that attaches them. Mm-hmm. And when you put them in there and you tighten all the clamps up and you pull on it with your hands, it feels pretty rigid. They feel yeah. pretty tight. Like they, you wouldn't think they're going to go anywhere. Just and going around in the, the corner. It's not going to break loose or anything. Yeah. And they're, they were in the trunk of my car. Mm-hmm. So the trunk had a bulkhead between it and the interior. So they were mounted in the trunk above the fuel cell. Uh, I never would have thought they would have came loose, but in the force of the crash, I think one of them, the mounts just sheared loose, but the bolt stayed bolted in, but it just pulled out of the mounts. Mm-hmm. The other tank, the stainless steel straps just sheared off and snapped. <laughs> the mount stayed in place, but the straps got tore loose. So I was one of the, things that I learned it uh the bottles have a lot and me and Bill didn't think that that would ever happen either Mm -hmm. so uh when you take the nitrous bottle and it's fairly full you got air gap in there so you got a little bit of momentum for your nitrous as a liquid moving around so we Mm -hmm. think that's what tore loose but yeah so this time around the car is going to get uh billet aluminum mounts that are basically bolted into the roll cage and I'm going to call it two different planes, not just a Mm -hmm. single Mm -hmm. sheer mounting of it. So yeah, the nitrous bottles are getting put in the car, uh, a considerably better fire suppression system. Mm -hmm. It's it's probably overkill, but there's uh, a fire suppression system just for me and the co-pilot or navigator Mm -hmm. and then a fire suppression system for the front of the car for the engine bay and one for the rear for the the fuel system the nitrous bottles Mm -hmm. all of that and it's going to be a system set up so i can set it off manually or it can set itself off based off temperature Mm -hmm. Uh, if you happen to get knocked out you're in a fire that would be worst case scenario so i want the fire suppression system to be able to take care of itself if you can't do it for it. I mean that you think about that nitrous spraying around it. I mean, you are basically spraying an oxidizer on your crash site. That's about as bad as it gets. It, yeah. The, uh, I didn't have like your standard small 10 pound bottles. I had a uh, larger 20 pound bottles and mm-hmm. Oh, the, I think when we timed it, the crash, from the time I started to go in the ditch until the car got like it did its last tumble mm-hmm. and came to rest on the ground was 12 seconds. Hmm. So I don't know at what point in there, the nitrous bottles got tore loose. Uh, I'm going to say probably six seconds in from watching the videos. You can see one of the nitrous bottles. There's a camera that was uh, a rear view of the car. And it shows the car tumbling. But mm-hmm. if you watch it close, you can see one of the nitrous bottles flying out and you can see the nitrous kind of like swirling and getting getting sprayed out yeah and once everything stopped and it was then it was silence other than when you listen to the videos you can hear the one nitrous bottle just sitting there going and and spraying and it sprayed for quite a while probably another i don't know 30 40 seconds maybe a minute and so yeah to what you were saying if there was a fire you're just sitting there spraying the the oxidizer all over it and it was took quite a while for it to get down to a zero pressure and it if there was a fire that it, it would have been 
a pretty bad fire with that happening. Bad news, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, a time, like a, a goal that you've set for yourself to have it back on the track? Uh, yeah, the goal is next spring, hopefully by May. Okay. Painted and everything, or are you going to roll it for a while, just kind of raw gel coat and primer to break it in? Uh, I'm, I'd am i like to be pretty meticulous with stuff, so I'd like mm-hmm. to say I, I don't want to really bring it out for people to see it in public until it looked like exactly what it did before. I don't yeah. I don't know why if that's just a mentality thing with me that I want it to be look the way it did before I crashed it. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I might end up doing exactly what you're saying and get it all done. Uh, take it to a few road course events to basically shake the car down, see if there's any drastic changes I want to make to the body mm-hmm. or anything before it's painted. The paint is the paint doing the body work on it's rather expensive because I'm going to paint the car the same way. And, and it's that tricot chroma chameleon stuff right yes exactly and uh doug killian and auto crafters that has did the paint work and helps me on the car he is uh, a very very meticulous painter mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so when he's done with it i know how he wants it to look and it's going to look just beautiful and look it'll it'll end up looking like a show car because that's what he wants it to look like right but it'll just be a really fast race car so I want to get everything shaken down, but on one hand, I would like to, when I'm done, have it be like it was. So yeah, yeah. The that. goal is, the goal is, early next summer, late spring. And you still haven't officially gone 200 in it, right? Not officially on a clock. <laughs> I, I know I've gone over 200 because I have a GPS in the car uh-huh. because it's easy to, if you just keep your foot in it for another second or two after you're done with the standing mile. Right. So I'm sure I've gone over 200, but according to timing and my official GPS in the car, it, I think the highest number I've seen is 198. So you don't have so the like, time slip that says two, 200 on it. Exactly. Is two, that what two, you're after now? Oh yeah. Two mile an hour really pisses me <laughs> off right now. <laughs> two mile an hour is, I mean, you think about it, two mile an hour ain't very much, but two two mile an hour from 198 to 200 is yeah, it's big. Like you're, it's a big. Well, it's, I don't think it's a big stretch right now for me, mm-hmm. but it is a huge stretch. I mean, it's a it's a lot of horsepower to get that gain. A lot of things have to go right. Uh, mm-hmm. The wind can be blowing the wrong direction that day at 30 mile an hour, and it and you don't make it. The year before at the same event, I think we were going into like a 30, 35 mile an hour headwind. Mm-hmm. And oh, I I won my event there too, but another guy, Ted Hughes, is he's did a lot of one mile events and a lot of road mm-hmm. course stuff. And he had a a four GT and he told me, he's like, Oh yeah, if we weren't going into this headwind, he goes, You probably would have been two oh five yeah. right around there. So it was kind of Wind conditions play a lot, whether the wind's blowing into you or just, uh, it might be a hot, hot, humid day mm-hmm. and the air density is bad. So it's, yeah, a lot of things play into it. Uh, I've gotten close out into sand hills and mm-hmm. the road out there is a lot worse. Uh, yeah. 
you're at elevation out there. It's always the time of year out there is always really high dew points, really high humidity mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. So you, you're making less horsepower because of air conditions and the road just is, it's a two lane uh, road that cattle trucks go up and down. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's slick, it's rough. Uh, you move that road, you move around a lot on mm-hmm. like it's, it's rutted it's, from the, from the big trucks. Oh yeah. And it's, it's pretty common to spin, like to be able to spin your tires there at 170, 180. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. have to pedal the car, which sounds, unless you're hanging a bunch of, around a bunch of drag racers, they can say they've pedaled their cars before, but yeah. going down a public road and <laughs> spinning and pedaling your car at those speeds are, it's a little unnerving at first. It's, With canyons on both sides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you kind of you forget about that part that it's <laughs> the the views are beautiful, but the road is dangerous at those speeds. There, there's a lot of little things when I look over the car safety wise. So the the window nets are getting changed to be mm-hmm. a stronger window net. That's part uh, arm restraints. Part of the reason that the seat moving down and changing the seating position of the car. Uh, before I had all glass in the car, this time it's going to have all Lexan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still going to try and do some cam events in the car. And I know people will scream and howl because in cam or cam T, they don't want you to have Lexan. They want you to have glass. Yeah. But I'm just going to tell them I, I don't really care. No. I've been showered with glass before. I'm not going to get – I want Lexan. Well, maybe you could just go run in CP and put the herd on them. I've thought about that. I've actually talked about that with a couple of guys. <laughs> that, that, that's the the drastic levels of where the car is. I can compete in CP class, but I'm going to put a fan back in it uh, mm-hmm. to defrost uh, the mm-hmm. windows. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it so I'm I'm going to get the car back to where it has everything it needs to be for Cam T legal mm-hmm. uh, headlights, tail lights. Uh, that's one of the other goals too. The car will be back to being street legal, mm-hmm. like driving it on the street. Well, a streetable was a thousand horsepower at the rear right. wheels can be. Right. So, so I don't know. Maybe I'll try one of the the drag week things at some time Ooh, or something. Yeah, that'd be fun. I still think we need yeah. to take it to Bonneville. That's a that's a bucket list thing of mine. Is to I don't even want to drive. I just want to crew on a car at Bonneville. So I'm relying on one of you guys to take me there. It, it's a, it's a goal. I'd like to get it there. I have a pretty strong curiosity of what it could do there. So I will definitely take you up on your offer on okay. the, the crew people. It's, okay. it's hard to find, I guess, enough other people with like minds that want to go places and do things like that. So yeah, well, yeah I'm, I'm game for that. Okay. All right. It's a date. You have until August of 2021. Okay. <laughs> See if we can line it up. Yeah. There, there's a lot of other goals for the car. Pike's Peak is one of them. Oh yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, I've actually spoke to Robbie Unser a little bit about that. I don't, I don't want to drive it at Pike's Peak. <laughs> well, he'd be your man. He, well, that's what we talked about. I, I don't want to just drive up Pike's Peak myself. I want to take the car there and have the at – at least if I'm not driving and have a chance at winning something, mm-hmm. I want somebody to drive the car and have a chance at winning something with the car. Mm-hmm. The car is probably more famous than I am, so I'm not opposed to putting a good driver in the car to yeah. to win an event just to have the car be famous. 
Thanks to Dave Wallace for being our guest today. And thanks to all of you for listening to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast. Visit the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com for the photos we referenced in today's episode. Email the podcast at podcast at speedwaymotors.com. If you like what you heard, tell a friend where to find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.